Ahoy! And welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth. The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. So, Phil, it's like old home week here today as we welcome two of your former colleagues, Heather Price and Sabina Robinson, to the Sea Captain Way podcast. Heather is a certified master coach who has motivated and trained more than 1,000 business leaders, teams, and financial representatives for over 20 years. During her tenure with a Fortune 500 company, Heather worked in recruiting, development, early productivity, and retention. She helps her clients navigate change, increase production, and achieve their full potential. Heather is also the co-host of Activity Coaching Conversations podcast with our other guests today. Sabina Robinson has built a national reputation for helping financial industry professionals build success in their practices and leadership roles. Sabina has coached hundreds of new financial representatives to early career milestones with an emphasis on early productivity. She focuses on coaching and training leadership teams and activity coaching to enhance new advisor productivity. Sabina is also the author of Quick the Cement is Drying, a book of essays on fundamental truths about the financial services business. So welcome to both of you. So good to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks. That's great to be here. Yeah, it's really cool. In fact, listening to these introductions, Greg... Uh, I think they're a little bit too qualified for this podcast, <laughs> um, but I called in a favor and uh, have known Heather and Sabina for 25, 30 years, 33. and uh, it is just 33, is that right? And so it is just really cool to have you both here. And so, Greg, be on your best behavior. Yeah, they've known you since, <laughs> since you were a first mate. So we're all going to hang around after the podcast. Yeah, and get all the, yeah some the juicy scoop. stories. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So until I met Sabina last year, when we interviewed her for a Sea Captain Coaching blog article about her book, I was not familiar with the concept of an activity coach. This was not part of my dynamic when I was working with my big wirehouse firm clients. So, Sabina, can you please describe the role of an activity coach for us? Sure, sure. It's such a critical role in helping new advisors have the best possible start because basically they're brand new and they have a coach, a personal coach, two to four times a week. And the activity coach's main job is just to make sure that they're doing enough of all the things that they need to be doing, doing enough, making enough phone calls, doing enough prospecting. That's the main, it's not case development or any of that kind of stuff. It's really all about making sure they're doing the lot, the activity that they need to be doing to give them a best chance to succeed. And they, mm-hmm. they play a lot of roles. You know, sometimes you're a drill sergeant, sometimes you're a cheerleader, sometimes you're a tactician, sometimes, well, not sometimes, always, you're like the down-home truth teller, right? Like you're the person who looks them in the eye and tells sure. them when they're veering off path. And that's a, it's a tough role, but it's so critical. Okay. Heather, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would add, I think it's so important. We talk about this all the time in our clinics that we have to drown them in beliefs. So you have to be a cheerleader for them. I really feel like one of the main roles of an activity coach is to be a cheerleader um, and to celebrate the daily wins. It's a brutal business, right? The industry, the t- it's tough. Sure. And they're starting a new business, so it can be overwhelming. Um, I feel like it's really important for the coach. One of their main roles is to really keep them on the path of proven you know, success. Um, inspecting, you know, through close inspection and corrective mm-hmm. action plans. So that's those first early months that they're really mm-hmm. developing all of those early activity habits. 
And so your job yeah. as an activity coach, especially early on, is to catch those bad habits and get them on a corrective ac- action plan as soon as possible. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Greg, when you think about this onboarding, how many people get onboarded with their firm, okay, whether it's sales, financial services, um, corporations, and go through that much detail, have that much connection to someone, because everybody that'll tell you when they start in a new organization, they'll point to somebody and say, that person went out of their way to help me. So when it's set up in a structured way, like Sabine and Heather discussing, it's very powerful and it helps you build a process that really works. And it also helps you through that tough day. Mm -hmm. Um, So what encompasses, Heather, you first this time, what encompasses an effective activity coach meeting? Uh, You know, it's funny because as Sabina said, ideally you're meeting regularly with the advisor, but these don't have to be long meetings. Some people think they should be 30, 45 minutes. They're really quick hit meetings. And the best thing that you can do to keep it on track is use an effective agenda, have a structured agenda for the meeting. So the agenda that Sabina and I use is first and foremost to review the activity, right? It's easy when it's 15 minutes, somebody comes in, you start chit-chatting and before you know it, 10 minutes has gone by and you've been talking about the weather and what happened yesterday. So really just getting right into the activity and making sure you review what we call left to right, you know, how many appointments they had, how many, you know, referrals, points, et cetera. So reviewing the activity. Next would be um, checking progress on their commitments. It's really important that they have a daily commitment, something that they're working towards. So, you know, making sure, did they follow through? Did they not follow through? If not, why not? Really having that accountable conversation. Next would be analysis of the activity. This is really where you're getting into the nuts and bolts of what's working, what isn't. It's kind of the intuitive part of the meeting where you're feeding off of, you know, how they're feeling, what what's working for them, what's a challenge for them, really the heart of the meeting. Um, next would be setting a commitment for the next couple of days, right? What are you going to focus on? What's meaningful to you, measurable? Uh, and achievable or within your control. So making sure you do a good job of setting that commitment for the next day. And then a really important part of the structure of the meeting is inspection, inspecting what we inspect. So if they tell you they have, you know, um, 18 meetings ahead, I'm going to ask them to pull up their calendar and say, well, let's look at it. Let's see where they are, that you're truly going through the blue book and making sure or going through whatever the CRM, whatever they're using to track their numbers and making sure that what they're tracking is accurately depicted based on, on the activity from the previous days. Believe it or not, that can all be covered in 15 minutes if you keep them on track and you stick to that structured agenda. Mm hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Sabine, anything you'd add there? The only other thing I would say is it's really where you get to know them as an individual. Like, you know, their numbers, you know, their activity, and you can coach them very specifically to their particular situation. It's it's so much more effective than just saying generic things like see more people, get better prospects. You know, you can mm-hmm. dig right in there and know what that specific person needs. And so it's it's very, everybody's working towards the same amounts of activity, but they have different approaches about how they get there. So you can really Mm -hmm. get to know each individual person and coach them appropriately. You know, that's pretty cool, Greg. If you think about it, think about applying this in a real life situation, like you're dating, for example, (laughs) and how important this would be to have have activity coaching consistently around this. Okay. Well, I could, I will uh, use all the advice I can get on that front. I can't wait to see where this is going. uh, I'll factor it in. No, I, I, I was. A, I, it's all about activity. 
<laughs> I like the uh, drill instructor analogy and the inspection component uh, only because my dad was a marine drill instructor. So do you, do you ever say, do you read me to your clients? <laughs> I used to get that a lot as a teenager. So, <laughs> yeah. So in your, in your coaching practice, you emphasize, I love this, the art of asking good questions. Um, why do you think it's important and what is the best way to ask a good question? I'll go first on this one, Sabina. So this is okay. one of my favorite topics um, uh, content-wise that we speak on. And I believe there's such amazing power okay. in a really good question. Questions mm -hmm. have the power to persuade. And when you think about sales in general, where is the sale usually made? Well, in the, in the in fact-finding fact process, basically. right? Like not in, yeah. the sale. Uh -huh. And what is the yeah. fact-finding process made of? It's made of questions. Um, because when you ask right. people, you know, questions, it makes them think for themselves. It helps you build a relationship. There's a lot that happens in terms of engagement, relationship, uh, et cetera. And, you know, I think somewhere along the line, we have, we lose our ability and desire to ask questions. What does, what do toddlers do better than anybody? Why, mm -hmm. why, why, right? Asking questions is a source of all knowledge. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's what brains were meant to do. And somewhere along the line, we lose that desire to ask questions. So number one, I'm just a big believer in why we need to ask questions. A couple things that I want to add. So as I mentioned, it gets people to think for themselves, but it also gets people creative. I mean, I can tell the rep what to do, right? I mean, when you've been doing what Sabine and I have been doing and you've activity coached for a while, you feel like you start to have all the answers, right? So when somebody has a problem, it's my knee-jerk reaction as an expert to tell them what they should do about it. But what happens is that limits mm -hmm. their creativity and their ability to come up with their own solutions. An example that I love to use, I had an advisor that was struggling with phoning, didn't want to pick up the phone to dial. And right away in my mind, I thought, oh, I could tell him to you know, use a mirror, smile, stand up. I had all these ideas, things that I was going to tell him. And I had to pause and I had to say, what would work for you? What do you think? What are some ideas? Right. And I turned to this person and he said he had no idea. And I said, well, that you're going to have to give me give me more than that. Right. And so we did a little bit of brainstorming. I continued to ask questions. And he said, you know, I have a pull up bar out in the garage. I've been wanting to get better at doing pull ups. And he said, I kind of have a little bit of ADD and it's hard for me to make all of these dials at once. He said, I think I'm going to do a couple dials, go out and do a couple pull ups, come in and do some dials, go out and do some pull ups. It energized him like I've never seen. And I, w I wouldn't have had that idea. I wouldn't have been, here's what you need to do. You need to go right, out, right? right? But by asking questions, it got him to think differently. As I said, stimulates creativity. A couple best practices, some things I would suggest around is um, there's an art, as you mentioned, Greg, in your question. There's an art to asking questions. So if, if I were to ask you a question that started with why, like, why didn't you do this yesterday? Or why did you do it this way? How does that feel? I feel defensive. defensive. Exactly. That's exactly right. Anytime you ask a, que a question that starts with why, it puts people on the defensive. Right. So asking questions that start with how and what is really an important, artful part. The way you deliver your questions, questions can come across as demeaning or judgmental if you, you know, depending on the tone that you use. So I don't know. I'm just a, a big believer in, you know, I can tell them what they need to hear or I can get them to buy in by getting them to say it for me. And I do that by turning mm -hmm. my statements into questions. Good stuff. Good stuff. And in, in fact, I used to, in order to make my dials early on, I used to withhold food and water, which was the only way I could make it happen. You think I'm kidding. It's true. It was around coffee actually. And I would, I could not have a cup of coffee till I did 25 dials, knowing that I would do the other 15 or 20 that 
I needed to yeah. do. Right. And, uh, so that was, that's just the game you play, but that's an example of the creativity. It's, it's gotta be yes. my idea. That's exactly uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that I think is important. Yeah. Sabina, what would you add on this? This, this is interesting. Yeah, I saw a quote one time and I think sums it up nicely. And it, it says, telling creates resistance, asking builds relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that's so true. Nobody likes to be told what to do, right? Like nobody likes to be told what to do. And I think in coaching sometimes, because you often do know the answer, you want to take the shortest distance to get to the solution, right? And just tell people what you know. And I call it going around the block to get across the street. When, you, when you're willing to take, have the time and patience to go around the block with somebody and, get, and ask questions rather than just go across the street telling them what it needs to be, mm-hmm. um, you get a much deeper level of ownership because we get anchored to what we hear ourselves say out loud. And I think that's right. the real connection there. It's their idea. And that's okay. I, I like to joke about it and say, we're not lawyers. We can lead the witness. <laughs> we can ask questions in a way that gets right. them to say what we want to tell them. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like good, like somebody asking a good question shows that they're listening. I'm a big, uh, I love fresh air, the NPR show with Terry Gross. She's just a master interviewer. Every single time I listen to that show at some point, the guest says, that's a really good question. And I'm like, it, it just shows she's connecting with the people that she's interviewing. I always say, I, I, don't you love it when people say, hmm, right? Things that make you go, hmm, I love it when somebody says, oh, yeah. that's a good question. It means you've made them yeah. think, right? We want them to think for themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. Or I never, I never thought of it that way. It's real good stuff. And, and so on your website, you reference a concept you call success cycle and how it relates to someone tackling a different, a difficult goal. Sabina, first this time, can you please expand on this? Yeah, absolutely. There's a process that we all go through when we tackle something that maybe we've never done before. It's a little bit scary for us. And it starts with disbelief. You know, you come into something and you think, man, can I really do it? I'm not sure it's possible. Has it ever been done before? I don't know. And then you, you, you take a you know, tentative step forward, and then maybe you get a result or two. And then you, you move into that next stage, which is hopeful skepticism, where you're making progress, but you don't quite believe it yet. You think, nah, I just got lucky. Maybe I just stumbled across you know, this, this thing, and nah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to continue. But then you make a little more progress and a little more progress, and you get into what's called the high performance stage, where now you're kind of like, it's like when you take the training wheels off a bike, you know, you want to look around and go, look, mom, I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing it. Um, and then you get across the finish line. And this is the part that that I think we tend to overlook in an effort to be very, very positive. But there's always an epic letdown, right? Like you, if you have a big goal, like running a marathon or doing something like that, once you cross the finish line, you're kind of like, spent months training for this. I gutted my way through it and now it's over, you know, and that's mm-hmm. how people feel. You get to the top of the mountain and you're like, oh, and so you've got to, you got to tell people that this is, this is the cycle. Like it, I've gotten a lot of uh, positive response when they explain to people how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way and what stage they're in. And then when mm-hmm. you get to the end, you don't skip past that part, right? You say, yeah, you're going to have this sort of depressed, let down feeling for a little bit. That's normal normalize it, right? You got to normalize it because otherwise people are trying to shake it off and talk themselves out of it. I'm like, nope, you just got to let it flow through you. And then not for very long though, you know, you you can have a couple of days to do what I call wallowing. It's got a timeline, Mm -hmm. not a month or a week. Um, And then you set the next goal and, and guess what? You go through the whole process again. 
So that's, that's, yeah. that's it in a nutshell. That's so good. That is so good behaviorally to actually be able to dissect that whole piece. That was excellent. Mm -hmm. Heather, what would you add on this? Just that it applies when you help them understand that it applies to anything in life. I think it connects. So when they realize a wedding, right? When you're looking forward to a wedding and there's all the planning and then you have the epic letdown afterwards, right? I mean, it's any goal, personal, professional, um, and that it's going to repeat over and over and over again. Is just reassuring mm -hmm. for them. That's so cool. And so, wow, this this is terrific, yeah. Greg. What other questions do you have? Yeah, you know, it's reminding me. There's, I've heard this term that they call the 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 warrior's rest, where after you've achieved your goal, you kind of let you let yourself relax, and yeah. then that's where you can, you know, a lot of times take your eye off the ball. So yeah. I did want to ask um, Phil highlights in the importance of commitments being honored through mutual accountability and personal responsibility with his sea captain coaching clients. How do you help your clients improve and enhance accountability for their business activity is kind of a, a follow on to this. That is such a great question, Greg, and um, probably a million dollar question, to be honest. I feel like we could spend oh. hours and hours on accountability. <laughs> it's something everybody wants, and yet it's so hard to get. And accountability can be difficult. People think you can hold people accountable. Um, but that's really not true. In all honesty, I think that you have you can help your clients create an environment for accountability to take place. So, you know, I think about how you show up, right? Like accountability really starts with self accountability. So as a coach, how am I showing up for the people that I coach? Am I prepared? Am I on time? You know, am I energized and engaged the way that I need to be? So I really start the yeah. accountability process by me showing up the way I need to and leading by example. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think helping them set solid commitments when you ask them to do something, making sure that what they decide to do is on their terms. Um, I, I don't want to be telling them what to do, kind of going back to our asking questions. I want to get to what is really important to them and what is meaningful to them, making sure that mm -hmm. what they have um, want to be held accountable for is measurable. Tracking is another important part of accountability. I make sure we have a really good system in place to track the progress. I don't know if any of you have uh, read the book, The Game of Work by Charles Coonrad. It's an excellent book. And it's all about making work like a game and making accountability more fun and mm -hmm. doing that through tracking. Uh, it's an excellent book around accountability. But I think helping them learn how to really keep score and making it fun. Um, and then lastly, really mm -hmm. finding out what motivates them. Because it's going to come, accountability is going to come from internally, really from them. I'm a big believer. I love the book Drive by Daniel Pink. He talks about mm -hmm. autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And so I really want to understand what their purpose is and help them be really clear on what their purpose is. Because when that's clear, accountability becomes much easier. Yeah, I am familiar with Daniel Pink, but I will definitely check out that other book. Yeah. So anything uh, that you put on this one, uh, Sabina? Yeah, I think it's also important to incorporate their values. You know, we have accountability conversations. It's really all about expressing their values. Like, you know, if you tell me that you value value persistency, I'm going to I'm going to bring that up as we're talking about accountability. How is persistency showing up? How is that helping you with your goals? And I think the other thing is it's critical and I think Heather mentioned it to, to help them set up their external environment to to constantly be pushing them toward what they say they want to do. We are accountable to ourselves, but Personally, I've never hit a goal that I didn't first make public. I publicly said I was going to write a book, that I was going to get my CLU, I was going to run my one and only marathon. I would never have done any of those things if I had not told people that I was going to do it. Because you know, because mm -hmm. then they ask, "Well, how's that going? What's happening? Are you getting close?" Um, because we don't succeed on willpower alone. 
um, especially with challenging goals. You've got to have the external environment to to when in those moments of doubt and when you just want to give up, you've had those external factors that help you stay with it. That's good stuff. You know, it's it's interesting as you talk about these items, I always talk about persistency in sales. And you can never be a pest if you always lead with the client's goals. It's impossible. Very I mean, true. what are you what are you gonna say? Uh Oh, you know, Phil, you bothering me so much. You call me all the time to make sure that I get my goals accomplished. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's right. impossible, yeah. right? So it's absurd. So whenever I'm focused on the, on the client, I can be as persistent as I need to be because it's still important to them. And until it's not, mm-hmm. game on. Mm-hmm. And right. so now I'm going to take a big risk here, Greg, uh, Heather, and I... Sabine is one of the few people who actually knows the sea captain from his very beginning, his infancy in development. Okay. She's one of the few. Uh-huh. And she was, she's true. much younger than me, but she is one of the few people that can say. And so I'm going to take a risk here, Greg. And as do you know me from my infancy, and I'm not letting you have the mic on this one, but. but <laughs> I'm on the edge of but, my seat. Where's this going? But. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Have you been bullied, Phil? I'm already nervous. No, you did it. <laughs> Sabina, Sabina, what was that like? I mean, I think this is a sea captain exclusive here. What was that like <laughs> right. raising? Oh, boy. I wish I'd had more time to prepare for this. Raising, I, <laughs> raising I, I, Phil. I was giving you no pre- preparation oh, yeah. time for I a know. reason. But what, what, what was that like? God, it had to be so inspiring. Well, you've seen the movie Raising Arizona, right? <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. kind of like that. No, yeah. No. no, actually, you know what the, you know what Phil did? When, and so I, I'm not even going to be snarky about this. Um, what Phil did when he was new was he did the work. You know, you just yeah. you did the work. If 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 you knew that you had to make forty dials a day, or you had to do six fact finders in a week, or you had to be closing every day, you did it. You you just trusted that the leadership that you had was going to guide you in the right direction, but you took the ball and ran with it and did, did the hard work. And I, I think that is, you were, you built on clients and helping people do the right thing. That's, that's one thing that I've always loved about Phil is he always, he does the right thing, right? Like I, I, I want to be sarcastic, but I can't. No, 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 I, really I got you covered there. Uh, I'll be yeah. sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, so I might have to hand it off to Greg yeah. before, before Phil's head oh, just gladly. pops out of his head. I know. Yeah. I, I liked riding with yeah. Phil in the car back when his car made a loud noise when we took a left turn more than in the Porsche. <laughs> I think we had more fun in the first car than the second. Right, or right. Whatever. Well, my college car was in college was a 1980 Chevy Citation yes. hatchback, baby blue. Chick magnet. It, it was nicknamed the it was nicknamed the turkey because when I would make aggressive turns, it would gobble. Yeah, it would just go. <laughs> and so that was the name. So whenever I pulled, whenever I parallel oh parked, gosh. everybody yeah. knew I was, I was there. Yeah, because it was usually in some kind of police chase That's when hilarious. he was uh, making those quick <laughs> left turns. <laughs> All right, so it's Sabina, like, continue. Get the blue back in order. crawl down the highway. <laughs> no, my it, only other con- thing was going to say, those of you listening, you may not have heard about this because it was omitted at one point in time, but Phil was actually the rookie of the year 
back in, <laughs> I think, what, 1990, 91? Really? Um, I, I, I just want to make sure everybody knows oh, that. Oh, my gosh. How much this do you think a rookie be- card is worth? <laughs> Dang. This this is this is this needs to be edited by the way because no it's gold um this is this is true but and Sabine and I worked together you're now figuring that out and she she left me off of a recognition document and then when I said to her you know I was that he was rookie of the year <laughs> it yeah, wasn't even it, that it, year it, I said when I was rookie of the year in case you're wondering if this stuff mattered to me this recognition piece but uh, I went to her and I said, Sabina, I, uh, you left me off the list. You know what she said? What? You were never you on were the never list. I never did year. it wrong. So I, so I had to prove it to her. I brought the, I brought the bowl in and put it on her desk. Wow. So we, we oh, digress. Yeah. All so, right. So keep moving. Keep yeah, moving. Poor Heather said, what did I, what did I sign on for? Bring them on. Now there's, there. There's too much baggage here. Phil's with, a sore uh, loser, it, but he's still a good guy. No, it's your question. Why Sabina doesn't like to be wrong? It could be somewhere in between. Yeah. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all of the above. I mean, clearly, we're still talking about it 33 years later. I know, I know, and and we are in many ways like brother and sister. I'll admit, but um, so you know, so Heather, for you, question, getting back on track here. You incorporate wellness training into your coaching practice. You advocate for health and wellness and its impact on the quality of life. Why do you believe there's a correlation between physical health and the health of a business? Yeah, not only do I believe it. I mean, my guess is we could ask anybody and they nod their head and say, absolutely, because we've all experienced it. We all know how difficult it is to take one step in front of the other when we're when we've had those moments when we feel absolutely physically lousy. My business philosophy really is that successful businesses are bred from healthy bodies and sound minds, meaning if you don't feel good, it's hard to do good, right? Um, And if you feel like crap, you're probably going to perform like crap. And I Mm -hmm. I found really through my own personal experiences with major stress-related issues, I had to leave my corporate job because I couldn't function. I was sick for nine months and I had to not work um, just to get better. And I realized at that moment in time that taking care of myself physically and my health had to come first. And as I started coaching more and more advisors, I realized very quickly that if peak performance is the goal and if people want to hit these really high goals they're setting for themselves, we have to coach to the whole person. And so I started bringing wellness into the workplace and really talking about how stress impacts. You know, How are you eating? What does your diet look like? Are you exercising? Are you mm-hmm. getting enough sleep? Because people burn themselves out easily in this industry and in this business. And um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's very important to me. Um, I do incorporate it into all of my coaching. Stress right now really is the number one health pandemic. And you hear people talk about things like IBS, they're not sleeping. And you hear about people who, you know, we all know that person that comes to the office and they drink three Red Bulls to stay awake all day, but then they can't sleep at night. So what do they do? They take sleeping medicine to sleep at night and we get this vicious cycle going. Um, It's hard to perform when you have that going on and when you're dealing with health issues. So it's important to me and it's become a really um, key part of the coaching that I provide. Well, I appreciate you being open about that because that's a meaningful thing. I'm sure you for those listening in, they were helped by just that uh, vulnerability yeah. that you shared, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, having lived it and now making it a passion and a message. Greg, I guess we're about ready to wrap. We got one more question, right? Yeah. So I was going to I'll ask Sabina. I thought it was interesting. I listened to some of your podcasts and you had a guest on your podcast. He was a culture index expert. 
who had analyzed over, I think it was 50,000 culture index profiles working with his clients. So I'm know about business culture and I've, I've heard some of, you know, office culture. We talk about some of that, but what is a culture index and how do you use it as a tool for coaching and recruiting? Okay. So the culture index is several highly credible assessments that you would use to as in the recruiting process. It's just one of many. It's not a, it's called the culture index, but it's really more of a, an assessment. And I think, so I'm going to talk more generically about how to use assessments instead of, I don't want to, I'm not in the culture index sales world. But, okay. Okay. Um, that's fair. That's just one. But I think the important part of that question is using the assessments from a coaching perspective, because what happens is in the recruiting process, you use these assessments and then they kind of get thrown in a dusty file drawer somewhere, never looked at again, but they give an incredible amount of valuable information for the coaching process. And it really helps you get to know people as full people. I always like to say, I agree with Heather, you know, there are people first and advisor second, right? So, and everybody has to do the same stuff. You know, have to make phone calls, they have to get referrals, they've got to go, you know, go through the whole sales process. But depending on how you're wired, you might approach it differently. So for example, let's let's talk about prospecting for a minute. You might have somebody who's very charismatic and a natural people person and can work the room. So maybe they don't have to do a lot of detailed preparation for prospecting because it's just so natural to them. Like they just, I think of, am I allowed to name people? I think of Chris Kuhn in this regard, um, who's a friend mm-hmm. of mine here in St. Louis. You know, he just, he could walk into any room and, and after talking to him, you would feel like he was your, you've known him your whole life. Now, Somebody else who's maybe more introverted and for whom prospecting brings on some anxiety, they might spend a lot of time preparing ahead of time, putting together feed lists and really having to work up to it. They're both doing the same thing. They're just doing it very differently. And I think in order to really tailor your coaching to the individual person you're talking to, you need to know a little bit more about that person. And the the culture index is one of my favorite tools, but there's a number of other you know, very credible assessments that help you. So I guess the thought I would leave you with on that is use those in the coaching process. Don't just use them for recruiting and then throw them in a drawer because they they give mm-hmm. you tons of clues about how to interact with people and how to get the most out of them. Yeah. And, and the piece that I'll add on this as we wrap is, is that they're also useful because again, we get back to it's their idea. And so it's so important with independent thinkers that it becomes their idea. And so when you look, when you use an index and they look at it and they say, yeah, that's me, or yep, I tend to do this. Those assessments are very, very helpful so that it's not just your observation. It's an observation that they accept so that it eliminates some of the defensive elements or some of the lack of awareness they might have around a topic. So, you know, we could go on uh, forever and take this quite frankly, right in the happy hour, but the... uh, (laughs) We all have work to do, and I just want to thank you both for spending this time and uh, connecting on this very important topic. Greg, anything you want to add? Yeah, uh, no, we're, I think we go all miracle on 34th Street here, and we're, can you remind us the name of your uh, podcast and how people can get in touch with you <laughs> sure thing. Uh, to learn more about how, what it's like working with your, your team? Absolutely. So our podcast is Activity Coaching Conversations with Sabina and Heather, or Heather and Sabina, but Activity mm-hmm. Coaching Conversations, you can find it um, either on my website at heatherpriceconsulting.com or on any podcast app, wherever you listen to your podcast. Otherwise, uh, an email to me, I'll share my info. And then Sabina, you can share yours. I'm heather at heatherpriceconsulting.com. 
Mm-hmm. Best email. Okay. And we'll we'll get this in the show Perfect. notes. So um that that should help. Okay, so, good. Awesome. Thanks so much. We re- really appreciate it. It was great making fun of Phil together and uh, reminiscing. Have, have Absolutely. You drop some knowledge I would do that us. any day. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun when you can combine work and play. Oh, I do it pro it, bono. It, it is. So is it really who who goes who is first? Does Sabina make you make you go last in everything, Heather? Is that how she no, does it? Because that's how she always did it with me. No, it's usually the other way around. No, yeah. no. We really work well, well together. <laughs> I'm not sure how or why or what we're doing, but it, we always talk about how we just yeah. work. I don't know. It clicks. We work well together. So we love it. Yeah. Well, Phil makes, well, me, well call, done. Phil makes me call him Mr. <laughs> Sir. So I'm not sure. But I oh, do my it. goodness. All right, Greg, you and I have to talk. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Way podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wishing you fair winds and a following sea on your journey.